Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online services. We are so excited to have you here today. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And if you wanna watch this message again or some of our other messages, you can always look us up on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning, everyone. I am uh, excited for next week's service. We're merging a couple of things together just in light of the ramp up. We're going to do three things. We're going to welcome new members. We're going to celebrate new leaders, but we're also going to appreciate those of you that have been serving. We're not quite at the level where we're ready to do our annual appreciation banquet, but we're going to go out of our way to make sure that uh, you are appreciated. We'll give you a little something and uh, I just want to say thank you, especially to those of you that uh, not only served but doubled down during COVID. We never would have been able to do this without a group of us together making it happen. And I just want to say thank you. I also want to acknowledge those of you that might have balloon phobias. My son, Ethan, has a huge one. When he was a kid, he used to freak out around balloons because they would just like the pop of them would freak him out. And we totally get that. Uh, we're going to ask that you control your children and not let them loose to just step on them and pop them because uh, there, there are some people that genuinely freak out. How many of you have a balloon freak out phobia? No? We'll do it for Ethan. Would you do that? Would you contain your kids for Ethan? He just like freaks. He's like, are you okay, Ethan? Yeah, I'm going to be okay. We all have phobias and uh, that just happens to be his. And uh, we're, we're, I also want to say thank you to those of you that have been giving uh, I just want to just put out to you, especially uh, for those of you that have stepped into the realm and made a faith promise to missions, but also for those of you that have stepped into the place of tithing, um, sometimes there are weeks where we say, we're going to have to pull this from general fund to take care of that. And other times, uh, missions money is always blocked off. So we, we can't pay the bills with that. And so I want to say especially thank you to those of you that have stepped into that. I would encourage those of you that have kind of struggled with that or uh, have kind of fell behind on that, that you would just know God's not a, in heaven with a ledger book, but that you would pick up where you left off and begin to move forward in that so that we can do everything we need to do. Amen? Amen. Nobody gets excited when we talk about monies, but balloons, we love balloons. I want to speak with you a very sobering message today. Um, for those of you that came in or those of you that are online, we're going to drop that in there. I, I want to welcome every single one of you that forgot that it was uh, Daylight Savings and you're back home saying, ah, what are we going to do? Live stream. Some of you that watch your regular attenders to live stream, I want to thank you for being that. I want to encourage anyone that's watching to always consider a local home church because we, we, do, we do Jesus together. You can't do Jesus without doing church. We need people in our lives, and that's very important. But... Uh, we also recognize that although there have been government mandates lifted, there are still people that are immune compromised. There are still people that are afraid. And so we want to be in an environment where we respect that. And so we're not looking for everybody to be the same thing, like everybody to not be afraid of the, of the, the virus and everybody to be afraid of it. We all are at different levels. And so we respect that. And, uh, we want you to know that this is a place where we'll continue to respect that. I want to speak with you today on what I've entitled the Great War. Um, 
I feel like God's put a message in my heart for some time. Any, anyone who knows me personally or has been journeying with me for a long period of time knows that one message I say over and over again is, is that I believe with all of my heart that we will see war come to our nation. I've said it at different points since my time here. I've said it for over two decades, but more than ever before I sense it. I'm not saying that the current conflict is the one that's going to bring it. I believe that this one is going to die down, but war is coming to our nation, and God wants the church to be prepared for it. So what I share today here with you, what I want to share, this message might cause some of you to question if I've, oh, I've lost my mind. Some of you might feel that I've overreached my brief, overstepped my bounds, crossed over, uh, my liberties, but it's not so. God always has a redemptive purpose, and he always has a remnant of people that he raises up. It's called his church, his bride, and he doesn't want you to continue with the mentality that you are going to get yourself ready. He wants you to be ready because if you have to get yourself ready, you will miss the moment. I'm going to share this message in the next week, month, Maybe perhaps years, I'll be the same pastor that you've known. My sarcasm's not going anywhere. My sense of humor's not going anywhere. Focusing on what is right, encouraging you where your life can be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the truth of this word will stay in play for an appointed time. War is coming to our country. And I'm putting a marker, and it's being recorded for that purpose. Jeremiah chapter 5 Verse 12, I shared this week to read Jeremiah's 1 through 5 and to read from Kings and Chronicles, the kings that are there. God said, this people says there shall be no disaster, famine, or sword. We're in a time in our nation where the idea of anything ever happening to us like this is almost unthinkable the same way that it was for Israel in Jerusalem. They just like, no way, God would never, ever let it happen. We're, we're his chosen people. We're, we're called by him. We're protected by him. God will never, ever let anything like that happen. I've been saying this lightly for decades, but I feel God is telling me not to be soft with this, but to make a marker and so that's what I'm doing in obedience to what God's put on my heart. I am not saying that the current conflict is it. I don't believe that it is. I'm not saying that Russia is coming to us. I'm not saying that China's coming to us. I have absolutely no idea. All I hear over and over again in my spirit is Jeremiah 4.19. I cannot be silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. In November 2019, I said that I sensed a shifting was coming to our church, that God was going to winnow and separate those who want him and those who don't, those who seek him and those that want to look like they seek him. And I really believe that COVID brought that out. We had some very powerful truths and markers that, that put in place that we realized that God knew what was going to happen before it would happen. And that's the kind of God that we serve. He tells, he knows what is going to happen before it happens. And every once in a while, he puts it out there to um, extra cream, regular sugar. <laughs> That's my new request. Everybody's like, have water. I'm like, coffee. <laughs> I'm not saying that anyone who stayed home or still continues to stay home, that this is the sifting, that you're part of that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm talking about here is those who left and are, and are not right with God, those who stayed home and abandoned God, 
those who disconnected from the vine and from his bride, who are not afraid of COVID, but have used it as an excuse of why they no longer pursue God with his bride. You understand the difference? It's a big difference. I remember sitting in Times Square Church in 1994 when I was working at Brooklyn Teen Challenge. Fun fact you might not know about me. And that Sunday, Pastor Dave spoke a vision. He saw southern Manhattan in chaos, thousands of fires, smoke filled the air, the towers were in distress, people were running in panic, covered in ash. And when I turned on the TV six years later, seven years later, and saw September 11th, I knew exactly that was what God was saying. God spoke that word. I heard it literally six years before it ever happened. My mind instantly went back to that. And I'll never forget, and that I can tell you where I was sitting, and I remember after service was over, I walked out the front of the church. If you've ever been there, you take a right, and there's this little stage side door. And as I popped out there, out comes Dave Wilkerson with a backpack over his back, just simple and humble. And I went up to him, and I'm like, hey, Pastor Dave. And he was like, hey. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm at um, Brooklyn Teen Challenge. And for him, he, although the church has been in New York, it was, a, it was a distant memory for him. And he was like, well, there were some good years there. I'll tell you, it's really a good work. God's doing great things. But as I was talking to him, it was, it was, I couldn't reconcile the guy that was on the platform and the message that was spoken with the man with the backpack walking about his simple daily life. It, I, I just couldn't do it, but I understand it. So I'm going to share with you the idea that I've already shared when I'm sharing with you. It might be difficult for you to reconcile because you might see me pop a backpack on my back. You might see me do a practical joke. You might see me say something sarcastic and be me. But what I share with you, I tell you, I know that I know that I know that God has spoken to me. And so I'm sharing it. In the handout that you have, there's tons and tons of things that are in there of the background of the book of Jeremiah. But in simple, I want to just tell you the whole front page in literally 30 seconds. In simple, Jeremiah was born and grew up in one of the greatest revivals in the history of Israel. He grew up under the revival of Josiah. In fact, Josiah's grandfather and father were the two most wickedest kings in all of history. Their fathers passed their children through the flames. They devoted every single place in Israel to worship foreign gods. And you have to understand, pagan idolatry like Baal worship and Asherah was literally sexual promiscuity on a level that you just could not even imagine. Every high place was the people that were performing sexual acts at high levels, thinking that it would inspire the gods to do the same, and the result would be that the, the, the seed and the rain would fall, the harvest would be. It's this whole cult religion thing, but you just have to literally translate it into your world and understand it was pure perversity. And I look at my nation, and I look at our country, and it is filled with perversity. I can take you to Israel. I took a group just recently. I cannot bring you to one single high place from the Old Testament because Josiah so thoroughly purged the land of Israel of them that none of them exist. There's only one that I know of in the world, and it's on top of the, one of the mountains in Petra. Very few people know it's there. I've, I've been there before. I took pictures of it, and, and 
It's just crazy to think that this whole religious cult of the high places and this promiscuity was there, but, but there isn't that much difference between their world and ours. Jeremiah, after going through this season of Josiah, he has one of the greatest religious festivals in history. He has a Passover where there are thousands of everything being offered. Thousands. He would have seen this. He would have been in the midst of it. But soon after this, there would be a decline for Josiah that would just totally change the history of Israel forever. And would be followed by, Josiah would be followed by four kings and a governor, and eventually the nation would be handed over to Babylon. In fact, as righteous as Josiah was, he, he kind of got ahead of himself at one point, and he decided he would insert himself into a conflict. And so Egypt was going to war with this northeastern enemy called Assyria, and they were fighting back and forth and fighting back and forth. And, and so Josiah said, well, I'm going to join the fight, and he intercepts the king of Israel, of course, or the king of uh, Egypt. And of course he's going to do that because Egypt was the place of slavery. He wants to, you know, maybe show off or show himself strong. But in the end, he ends up getting shot with an arrow, and that ends one of the great revivals. And we enter into the decline of the nation of Israel before they go into captivity. I want to throw a couple of things out here really quick. First of all, I believe what I'm sharing with you here is not a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Hear me. In fact, what I think the problem is with the church in the 21st century is we are obsessed with putting one finger in the book of Revelation and putting another finger on a channel and saying, this that was written here is that. What I am proposing to you is that this is a God-ordained biblical prophetic principle that God has moments where he says enough. Where God says, my people have lived the way that they want to. I have been patient with them, but now I will judge them. And a lot of people, we, we are obsessed with Israel. Do you know in the Israeli army, you can get up to five abortions with, with, without any cost? And we look at Israel and we give them a blank check and we say, well, they're God's chosen people. Yes, they are. And they're the fulfillment of prophecy. Yes. And we write ourselves into end times history like we're so important. And I want you to know something. There is nothing in scripture speaking to us as a nation. We are not as important as we think we are. What I'm going to share with you might seem hopeless, but if you will hang with me towards the end, God is going to show us that there is a moment of opportunity where we are going to be able to shine, where we are going to be able to be the church, where God will restore his power and his glory to your life in a way that you may be used to know or in a way that you have never known. God always is with his remnant and always with his people. Always. Just like in Josiah's day, just like in Jeremiah's day, I, I feel like this last run of politics made me want to just, just vomit in all directions. The church has had its eyes in the wrong place. You think that a political leader is going to save you? The church had its eyes in the wrong place. Listen, when, when President Obama was elected, it was epic. 
the first African-American president. I'm proud of that truth. In fact, I don't have this race card that I'm walking around with. Some of my dear and close friends if you are, are people of color, and if you were to ask them, is Paul racist, they would be like, you don't even know who he is. It doesn't even register. Those things don't register with me. I appreciated President Obama's temperance. I didn't agree with everything he did or what he stood for, but I respected his office. I don't think any man takes the office of president with the intention to harm the nation. That happens indirectly based off of their appetites, their agendas. People look to him like he was some kind of savior as if that man was going to set all of the per their personal wrongs right, all that was crooked straight, but he's just a man. And he ruled and he resigned. And then just recently, Donald Trump came to be president. He had a sense of patriotism. No president definitely understood the workings of international economics and political pressure better than him. I have to give him that. But the people made him into a makeshift messiah. I heard people talking about that he was really ruling the nation from a secret space. And we made him into a messiah? A man with a perverse mouth? He's just a man? I wish that I could take Barack Obama's temperance, Donald Trump's economic genius, Michael Pence's heart for God, and Martin Luther King Jr.'s lips, and put that person on there. But you know what? No man will ever take the throne and no man will ever take the office of presidency and will make the wrongs right. There is one king and his name is Jesus. There is one Lord and his name is Jesus. There is one ruler and his name is Jesus. His kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. And I feel the church has had its eyes in the wrong direction. If I could speak to my white friends and my white brothers and sisters who really like looking at how our pocketbook is infected by a president and we're really looking to Donald Trump. Your eyes were in the wrong place. For those of you that walk around constantly being offended in the other direction because somebody says something and you think that they're making a racial statement towards you. This is a micro offense. This is a macro offense. And you look to people as if the right leader is going to get in there. It's not going to happen. There is one leader and his name is Jesus. And his kingdom is here in your heart. I look to Jeremiah 5.1 and it says, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and look and take note. See if you can find a man who seeks justice and seeks truth that I might pardon my people and I think back to the example for some of you that are too young of Bill Clinton when the office of presidency where a man could be sexually immoral and lie to the fact that he did that and still retain that office. Where's the honor? Where's the example? I feel the church has had its eyes in the wrong place. Jeremiah said this, in that day the kings and the officials will lose heart, the priests will be horrified, the prophets appalled. When the judgment came, it says in 226, 
As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets. We've had people prophesying nonsense. People walking around holding the title of prophet and everything that flows from their mouth. We've had movements in the church. We have incredible music. So did the Titanic when it was going down. God is sovereign over all nations. He does not author their action, but he does use their decisions and directs leaders to accomplish his outcomes in the bigger picture of the world. You go left, he knows when to go right. You go right, he knows when to go left. If, if, if you're not serving him, if, if you're in a part, he knows how to take the disaster and horror of nations and men and wield it so that when it's all done, it accomplishes his purpose. And while man creates the nightmares, not God, not even Satan sometimes, although he's right in the middle of that, Satan has gotten man to destroy himself right from day one, and we have been doing it for him ever since. Some of you might be saying to yourself, well, Pastor Paul, like, how is this? You know, you said it's not biblical prophecy. Well, I'm saying it's prophetic biblically. I'm talking about the principle. I'm not talking about, here it is. What if, what if the return of Jesus doesn't happen for a thousand years from now? Don't you want to be aware, like, of the times that are around us, how God is moving in the world? Not every, you see, Scripture, Scripture, a lot of people are like, well, well, we're New Testament church. God, we're under grace. Well, the way that we achieve grace and we achieve forgiveness is through Jesus Christ. But, but friends, there are, there are so many churches and so many people out there that ignore this huge section of the book. And we're still, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to uphold it. This is filled with truth. You see, if you never read the prophets, you never understand the justice of God, the judgment of God. This helps us. This is, God didn't need much space to do what he needed to do with grace, but we still need to be aware as a church of how God moves in justice and judgment through the world, how he deals with nations. Well, Pastor Paul, what, what, what right do you have to say this? Well, Jeremiah 18 says it, 7 through 10. If anyone, anytime I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down or dis and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of that disaster that I intended to do to it. Praise God. In other words, God's response to judging a nation, God's response to judging a country is completely dependent upon how they respond to him. That's the principle. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation and a kingdom that I will build and plant, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do it. Again, the response of the people determines the response of God. In fact, a lot of times we're just simply looking at history strictly through Israel's perspective, but God talks in Ezekiel 29 about how he had a plan for Egypt 
And this is reflective of the time of Jeremiah, where Egypt eventually, though it was, the, the, Egypt hands down is the oldest civilization in world. It's the oldest. It is one of the most powerful, the most epic. When Israel became a nation, they already had about 2,000 years of history. They were the superpower, the original superpower of the world. But then God says this in Ezekiel chapter 29, then all the inhabitants of Israel shall know that I am the Lord for surely... For thus says the Lord to God, at the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they have been scattered, and I will restore their fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros and to the origins, to their origins, and it shall be a lowly kingdom, and it shall be the most lowly of kingdoms, and never again exalting itself above nations. Here we are 3,000 years later plus, and it is a lowly nation. God did what he promised. You see, what I'm saying here is this, is that if you believe that God is Lord, Jesus is Lord and God is over all the nations, then it means that God is in control of what happens in the world that's going on around us. That while man does what he does, God is in the midst of that, using both the bad things that they do and the good things that they do to work about his big plan. <laughs> so while... The only place I could ever refer you to the United States being in the Bible is a simple, obscure verse that says uh, the, the islands, because that's all we could refer to ourselves. We're, we're not even discovered in biblical history. The principles of God being at work in a nation bring to bear the truth of what I'm sharing with you here this morning. And I'm here to tell you that we have turned so far from God that we have had conversations that have to make sense to people about things that God has condemned. In other words, you, you have to, in order to make headway with people, you have to have conversations about things God clearly has condemned in his word. And if it doesn't make sense, then God is ignored. And we have had a culture that exchanged God and his truth and walked away from it. Well, why doesn't God just deal with something instantaneously? Why doesn't he just, you know, drop the hammer? I think about Genesis 15, 16. Here is, here is Abraham, and God says, I'm going to give you this land. Well, in the land at that time were the Canaanites, and from a history point of view, the Canaanites were just as powerful as the Egyptians, if not more powerful. In fact, at one point in history, they took control of the northern half of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. These people that we refer to in passing, the Canaanites, were a, a culture for 2,000 years, a mega power. In fact, the only reason why we have archaeology in the Middle East is because they built such huge walls to fortify themselves that it was just, it made sense for people to build city after city on top of those hills so that you could cut through it and see thousands of years of, of history right in there because they were so powerful. When it talks about Jericho being a city that was walled up to the heavens, this is where the Canaanites were experts. And God said to him, God said to Abraham this, and he's looking at their cities. He knows how is, how is a sheep herder going to do this? God says this, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come here, but the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God seems to have a patience about him with nations. And we see it in Daniel 8, 23, the same thing, where he says that the transgressions have not reached their limit. God looks at nations and he's, he's patient with them and he's long-suffering with them and he's trying to see win them over and draw them in. Well, wait a minute, pastor, this is the Old Testament. Yes, but there's a tipping point in history when God says enough. There are moments that come where, like a parent, 
You try to restrain your child, and you reach inside, you're hoping that they reach inside themselves to their full potential. But when they've cast off warning after warning, and, they've in, and you've intervened time after time on their behalf over and over the rest of the line with them again and again, only to see them in the same pattern, in the same rut, you know life has to be allowed to run its course for them to learn the lesson they so continually ignore. And if God did this for the nation of Israel, why would he not do it concerning us? Well, we're New Testament Christians. It's a New Testament covenant. Well, 1 Corinthians 10.11 says this, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. This book is filled with pattern after pattern, principle after principle, truth after truth of God's word and how he deals with nations. And if God does not judge us as a nation, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a prophetic principle I'm talking with you here. Divine plan in the future versus a divine purpose, divine boundaries, divine tipping points where God is moved to take action, where he restrains himself, and he says, I cannot restrain myself anymore. God's given examples of what has happened to a people when they wander far from him, examples of how he brings judgment on a nation, examples of those trigger points, and the book of Jeremiah is filled with them. He gives three visions and two sins. And this is what I want to share with you here. First vision, he says this. He says, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah had this vision, and he says, an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. This is right at the beginning. What you have to understand is, is that the almond tree in Hebrew, there's a word play that's going on here. It's the almond tree is the watcher, the waker of spring. In fact, it, it, when we were over there, uh, it was, these were in full bloom. You can see them at times when they're in full bloom, right during the last snow in, in what seems like winter hanging on, trying to cling on. But it, it wakens to show you that winter is ending and spring is coming. And what God's saying is that as sure as the blooming of the almond tree lets you know that spring is coming, Sure enough, my judgment is coming. And then he has another vision right after that. And he says to him, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, well, I see a, a boiling pot, a cooking pot. And he says specifically, he says, I see it tipping from the north. Now, here's what I want to be careful with. Because I'm not going to say any more than I feel that God's put on my heart to say. I do not have, I have not put my head to the pillow and had some vision. I have not taken psychotropic drugs and have seen all kinds of things. I have not been sitting in prayer and the room disappears and I see all kinds of things going on like the book of Revelation. No, what I've sensed in my heart is like Habakkuk when he says the burden that prophet Habakkuk did see. There's a burden that's been in my heart for two decades and God is burning it within my heart and in my spirit that you look at the principles, you look at the time, and you see that we are reaching God's patience limit. Here's what I, I can as best describe, and you can do with this really what you want. I do not think that God is going to destroy us completely as a nation. I do believe that we are going to see open war 
And I do believe that it will humble us. And God's purpose for it is simply this, that the church becomes the church again. Right now, all through Ukraine, you've probably watched all kinds of news articles and YouTube videos of helicopters and rocket launches and javelin strikes and soldiers bombed and cities devastated and moms. There's a reason why the Bible says, woe to those who, who are pregnant at this time, who are ready to deliver. We, we, we've seen that on TV, but have you looked at the underground church? You need to Google the underground church of Ukraine. In the middle of these devastating campaigns, in the basement, throughout the church, this is what Miro went over to talk to and to work with, was this church that was alive and that was in there. And there are many people who have even stayed in the nation, underground, praying. There was a pastor who, before this conflict happened, God spoke to his heart and said, you need to stock up medical supplies, water, and food. And just obsessively, he stocked it. And now he's taking care of people in that country, caring for them. There's some people that stayed there. Where is this conflict in Ukraine in the Bible? There, there isn't a specific, this isn't a biblical prophecy like end times prophecy. This is simply a, a, a principle of God at work in the world. I, we, have, we have gone, I am not trying to make the case that every single one of the founding fathers were Holy Spirit-filled, godly-loving people. No, Benjamin Franklin had mistresses in France. These guys had their sin issues. I, our nation had a lot more of a higher God-centeredness about it, and the culture had a Christian-centeredness about it, but it is completely a godless nation where you and I are the minority, where people are not looking for the answer through God, through Jesus Christ. In fact, we are living in a time where it is actually a liability culturally for you to be a follower of Jesus. He said, I see a tipping pot. And he tells him, disaster will come from the north. Well, Pastor Paul, what are you saying? Is Russia coming for us? I don't know. Is China coming for us? I don't know. I just know in my heart that something is going to happen, that war is coming to our land, and that God is going to humble us as a nation and as a church, and that it is not time for you to think about getting ready. It is time for you to get your life right. It is time for you to get your life right. It, it is. Because if you have to get ready, you won't be when that time happens. The last thing that he shows Jeremiah is this. He says, in kind of a strange way, there will be a hot wind from the barren heights of the eastern desert toward the daughter of my people, not to winnow or cleanse or wind, forgive me, my eyesight, not to winnow or to cleanse, a wind not to uh, full for those, it's that bad, to winnow or cleanse, a wind not to full for this, comes from me. Now it is I who speaks in judgment upon them. Now this is kind of a weird thing unless you understand the land of Israel. Where the Sea of Galilee is to the right of it is one of the larger deserts in the world. And 
All throughout the spring, you can find greenery and grain all over the place. Every day, at the end of the day, a wind comes from the Mediterranean from west to east every day. And that's the time at the end of the day where people would winnow their wheat. They'd throw the wheat up in the air, the straw, the wind would carry the straw away, the heavy wheat would fall back to the ground. That's a winnowing wind. But when the wind shifts from the desert and it comes from the west, and I've been there during a summer when that happens, in literally a week, everything that is green is brown, and everything that was browned is on fire. It's like the state of California. This is what God said. It doesn't matter how green it looks. It doesn't matter how great it looks. In a moment, I'm going to shift the wind and I'm going to change the conditions and bring judgment. Why is God doing this? Why would God do this? Why? Like, this isn't fair. Like, Lord, why, why would you do this? Well, why do we do what we do? He says this through Jeremiah. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain or the spring of living water, and have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Throughout Israel, there are natural springs. They're called Ain, Ain Harod, Ain Gedi, Ain Feshka, Ain Arat. And you can see them up in the north in Dan, in Ain Advat, in Ain Gedi, where David hid. And the thing about a spring is this, is the water bubbles up naturally and it constantly feeds you water. In other words, it's like a never-ending water fountain. It's just constantly bubbling up because it's a natural fed spring. It's fresh water guaranteed. And that's a very hard thing to find in this part of the world in the middle of nowhere that you could find something like this. But because it's so dry, what the people tend to do is, is they build cisterns. And you can see this with one picture with a guy in it and one without a man in it. Literally, they're huge. This is, this is when Jeremiah was thrown in a cistern. He was thrown into something like this. Literally, some of these could be about the size of this room. And when it rains, they channel the rainwater into it. And they figure, we're going to be good. We're going to have water, even though it doesn't rain for more than a few inches a year in this part of the world. We're going to be okay. We're all set. But the problem of this part of the world is that earthquakes are constant and continuous in different points in history. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and the train of his robe filled the temple and the earth shook. That's, that's earthquake metaphor. And you can see the effects of earthquake all throughout that area. And God says to us, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In other words, you've turned away from God as your satisfaction and your source of life. You've turned away from God as the one who provides for you. You've turned away from God in a trust relation and an exchange relationship with him to say, Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. What matters is what's going on within me and, and I'm gonna be okay. And that is a spring of living water that means no matter what the circumstances are around you, it is a spring that will constantly be fed. I don't know how Pastor Dylan went from having $50,000 of debt to having that debt wiped off in a moment noted, but I know this, he could have been working in a corporate job and he would have been taking a lot of years to pay that money down, but he didn't have to. He was doing what God called him to do. And somebody stepped in, said, I'm going to pay that bill for you. That's what happens when you make God your spring of living water. You need to be responsible with your finances. Yes. You need to honor God with your finances. Yes. You need to be smart with your money and not wasteful. Yes. But at the same time, it's not your money, it's God's money. And you need to be a good steward of that. 
But when we break away from God and we say, listen, God and me, we're good, you know? But, but I've got my own thing going on over here, and me and Jesus, we're, 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 we're good. Like, it's all good. And thanks, God. And, and you, you break away from God being your source. You break away from putting your life near that place of water, and you begin to hewn out and say, you know what? I'm going to build this great, big place, and it doesn't matter whether it's raining or not. I'm always going to do it. And then all of a sudden, one shake one move, one crack, and that thing that's filled with resource for you is empty. An amazing truth a lot of people don't know. Nicodemus, who was on the high council, who's for that famous verse where Jesus says, in order to be born again, in order to see the kingdom of heaven, the inside of the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. Nicodemus was willing to go before Pilate to get the body of Jesus, something his disciples weren't even willing to do. He was a genuine convert. He was a person of prestige. In fact, outside of the Bible, in Jewish literature, it speaks of him. And it says that during the war that came to his country, years after Jesus had been buried, risen, and ascended to heaven, he took all of his resource. He was a person of great wealth. And he took all of his resource during the war and helped the starving help the sick, help those in needs. Because he realized that what he had, he was a steward of. And God put him in that moment and in that hour for a purpose. I think it's important for us to understand whether you have a simple check week to week, or you are the recipient of a trust fund, or you have been a good investor with your funds, you have to always carry before your mind that God is your source and that you are a steward of his resource and that you don't live your life separate from him, but you live your life in the presence of him. And I believe in the day that we live, there are people that will go to church on Christmas and Easter and have abandoned Jesus as the spring of living water. And they've dug cisterns that cannot hold water. And one crack, one crisis and it empties out their hearts. Our hearts are detached from affection and dependence on God. Their hearts, our hearts, sought a new source for satisfaction and security. The result has been disaster for us. We wonder why we don't hear the voice of God in our life anymore. We think we've got him when he really has simply been replaced. And he's tired of watching us store blessing separate from the blesser. It's a divorced relationship with him. Jeremiah says this, can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. A new, a, a new bride is obsessed. And yet he's saying, you should be in this place of totally being captivated and yet you totally ignore me. They make Christianity or Christ a religion of rescue. Jeremiah said it like this. They have turned their backs on me and not their faces. Yet, when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Come and save us. That's a religion of rescue. If our only time of prayer is in crisis, it's not a relationship, it's a religion of rescue. The Church of America complains about government bailouts 
while she turns to God into a religious bailout of rescue. What do we need to do? What do we, where do we go from here? Where's the hope? Now, I told you, if you would hold on here, there's hope with this. First of all, I think we need to recognize our responsibility of our sin. Right back at the beginning, talked about how the people of Israel were ignoring their responsibility. They, they said, we haven't sinned. We haven't sinned. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read this to you. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me, you should return if you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. God is saying that if we will take our lives and make them right with him, that we will experience a presence of him in our lives that will be noticed by others. That if you, you take serious the fact that your life belongs to the Lord, that he is your source of life, that whatever he needs to be, whether you're a widower and he needs to be your husband, whether you're a husband and you feel inadequate and he needs to be your sufficiency, whether you're a young person and you're being torn and pulled in a thousand directions or an older person, that if you will make him the obsession of your life, he will bring a glory on you that will make a difference and change things. I know what it's like to have the glory of God on my life in a way where people recognize and see it and say, oh my goodness, I just, I just see God all over you. Or I just want to get my life right with you. If well, I don't know what you have, but whatever it is, I want it. And I've also been in the place where I haven't been right with God where I thought that I would have that authority to step out and I've embarrassed myself because he wasn't the obsession of my life and that glory and that presence was not there. And we need to realize that that's our part, that, that no one can keep us from God's best for our life except ourselves. What else we need to do in chapter 4, verse 14, O Jerusalem, wash your hearts from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? We need to take our lives to the washers. When you clean something, sometimes you, this is so hypocritical because, you know, my wife does tons of laundry all the time for me. And, uh, but if you have a stain, she's not like my, my little housekeeping wife that does all my laundry, by the way. I do some. Anyway, sorry, honey. Yeah. If, but if you're going to wash something, it takes time. Sometimes if you have a stain, you've got to put stain spray on it ahead of time. You need to let it soak. Sometimes, like the skunk that was all over our house, you have to treat... Yeah, it's, it's not funny. Um, <laughs> you have to treat something. I, I feel like there's, there's... For you to, you know... It's, it's like for you to ignore that is just crazy when everybody else can smell it. You have to work at that to get that out. Sometimes you have to use unique combinations to neutralize it or whatever, but, but to show up like that, I think the church in many ways is showing up with stink on them and saying, it's all cool. And there's a stench coming off of your life because of the sin that you refused 
to leave. You refuse to lay at the altar. You refuse to repent of, or even more importantly, you refuse to even acknowledge. And God is saying, it's time for you to acknowledge your sin. It's time for you to wash your life. And then lastly, he gives this other example of circumcision. In chapter 4, in verse 4, he says this, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, lest the wrath of God go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Hear this. This is like uh, whenever you're talking about lady issues, whether it's menstruation or childbirth, there's always embarrassment. This is the embarrassment topic for guys. But to take a knife to your foreskin of your private parts. That's literally what God is saying. In order for you to be my people, you need to be willing to take the pain to show how devoted you are to me and that you'll pass that on to your children and your children's children. And when Abraham did this and Abraham's people did this, they were full-grown adults. We, we hand this over to, for the doctor to do when children are born. They were full-blown adults. Can you imagine having to do that? What God is trying to get across here is if you're going to change your life, if I'm going to do something, if you're going to stand in the difficult times ahead, if you're going to shine bright in the darkness, if you are going to be who I need you to be, the church, if you're going to be one that shows God's glory and presence on your life, you need to be willing to apply some pain to your life for the change. You need to circumcise your heart. A great mentor of mine said it like this, until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change, change is never going to happen in your life. You see, there's, there's sometimes different, like whether it's a splinter in your hand or, or you know, a, a stitches as a kid or whatever it is, you're just kind of like, or a dislocated, how many of you, if you maybe you've had a dislocation and you know the pain of putting that thing back into socket, it's like you Listen, it's going to hurt you more if you leave it the way it is. It's going to hurt you more if you don't reset that bone. It's going to hurt you more if you don't consecrate your life to God and are willing to experience some pain on the front end so that you don't, so that you experience the glory of God on the latter end of your life. It's time for you and I to take out the flint knife and cut away the carnality from our life. That's what God is saying through Jeremiah. He's saying, my people are carnal. My people have learned to be sufficient without me. My people have turned to immorality. My people have turned to idolatry. And I won't stand for it. What's the hope in this? God wants to mark this message so that you know when all this happens that you know it before it happens, that you don't miss your moment by trying to get ready for it. You get your life ready now. When all that people put their hope in crashes, you'll be standing and people will take refuge in God who is the architecture and builder of your faith, a faith that is not shaken even by the world events going on around you. The church has been so obsessed with the book of Revelation and end times prophecy just as the Pharisees were obsessed with who the Messiah was and they just missed their moment right in front of their face. Don't be so obsessed with end times prophecies that you miss the real time principles, prophetic principles. Listen, Adolf Hitler and Stalin were way worse 
than anything this world has ever seen in our lifetime, and they were not the Antichrist. Others may arise equally evil. I don't know when Jesus is coming. I want to live my life ready for him in the now by responding to the times that I live in, not the times that are yet to come. And if we believe that we're raptured pre-tribulation, we're not here for three-fourths of that book anyway, so why are you so obsessed with it? Stop trying to line up the newspaper with the book of Revelation and start lining up your life with the book of God, the full counsel of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come here. Two promises I feel in my heart for us. One is that one that I just read to you. The world will take notice. When you apply the knife to your carnality, when you begin to make Jesus your source, when you know that you know that you know that he is your all in all. Others will take notice. And that reason is because of Jeremiah 3.15. 3.15 and 16, he said, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and have been fulfilled in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall, there shall be no memory and no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come in mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. You have to understand what this means. The ark of God represents the presence of God. And in the book of Acts, I think it's 2020, I could be wrong. He says, God no longer dwells in temples made with human hands. Corinthians says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God's spirit dwells within you. That means that we need to be sensitive to grieving him. You know, those of you that call this place church, whether you're online or here, you know how much I despise legalism. I despise it. It disgusts me. Nobody was ever made the better and more people have destroyed their life through legalism than they have through heroin. But at the same time, if we look at the full counsel of God, we have to be mindful of the days that we live in. We have to be mindful and not overestimate how important we are as a country. We're not. You're not. We are like any other great nation that has risen and fallen throughout history. I haven't given you some specific lay. I haven't even given you a timeline. I couldn't even give you a timeline. I couldn't even give you. I, I, I feel this in my heart, and I feel that this is just a strengthening of this word. I think that we're going to see this whole conflict in the Middle East or in, in Russia, Ukraine, that's threatening to pull the world into World War III. I, I think what we're going to see, and I think this is within my heart, God's given me the confidence to say this. Maybe it'll give you confidence in the other part of this word, that it's not going to blow up into World War III. This isn't it. This isn't that war but it's coming. I don't think we're going to get nuked. I don't think that, I, I have no idea what it looks like, but I just know this, that our mindset in this nation is so much like Israel was before the destruction that came after the time of Jesus. And we're like, there's just, even just like the time of the Babylonians coming, nobody could even imagine. They say, well, God's with us. We're friends with Israel. We're one nation under God. We have not been a nation under God for a very, 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 very long time. 
nor am I putting my hope for any president to be the savior. There is more corruption in the world than you realize. The two most corrupt nations in Europe, you know what they were? Russia, you know what the second one was? Ukraine. In fact, they were delayed from having any entrance into, into NATO because one of the conditions is, is that you deal with corruption. I'm not making any parallels that what's happening to them is judgment. It could simply be the wickedness of Putin's heart. But I look at our nation and I look at the church. I look in the world and I see the church and I look in the church and I see the world and I can't tell the difference. And we have great music and we have great moments, but we don't have great people of prayer. And we don't have great moments of revival and we don't have great repentance in the ways that I remember it. You've got, you've got to... Isaiah said it like this. He says, who is the one that you esteem, O God? Those that are humble and contrite and tremble at your word. When I read things like Jeremiah, I tremble. I tremble. I am not living my life in fear, and nor is this message calling you to it. What God is calling us to is to repent. There isn't a person in this place today that could tell me that you've got it all dialed in and you're right. In fact, some of us have dialed out and have been checked out and we're in cruise control and church and in seeking God and we're, we're chasing things and do, doing what, what Jeremiah said. And it's okay for me to use the word in church, but he says that the church was playing the whore, chasing around, running around, just compulsively, impulsively like an animal in heat for, for sin. I'm saying, oh God, dial my life in. If we could stand across this room this morning. This message is simple. I've not preached a coming war. What I've preached is a desperate nation needing to repent, a church needing to repent. For us to be willing to say, God, search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Through this room, I just ask, as they're playing, we're going to just have them begin to just play and just, just we're going to sit here for a moment, and I want you to invite God to search you. See, because if the Holy Spirit does his work to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, I don't have to do my job. I don't have to do his job for him. We already know what needs to change. Would you give God permission to convict your life? of the people you've shunned, the insults you've hewned, the people you've shut out, the things that you've replaced God with, the acts you've committed. Because he's here in his grace. Listen, he's here in his grace. We're going to get this right right now. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, as your church asks you to search our heart, Lord, we don't want to just do church. We want to be the church. But we, need, we want to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, we're going to need to circumcise some things in our life. And it's painful. There's no, there is no topical Novocaine for this. This is, this is pure pain. But we know that nobody else is going to do it except us. Lord, right now I pray for people that are watching online, people that are here, that you're putting your finger on something that needs to be carved out of their life. Give them the courage to do it. 
Lord, until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change, change will never take place. Change us, oh God. But Lord, we take that initiative. We take that knife and apply it to our own life. Lord, we don't want to walk around and say, I've done nothing wrong. We don't want to be like the people in the book of Jeremiah that say, the Lord will do nothing, neither good or evil. And, it, and to think that God won't be judging things, to think that God isn't being patient with us. Lord, I pray your church would be a house of repentance. Right now, we repent before you. We say, forgive us, O oh God, for our wandering hearts. God, we ask you to purify your church today in Jesus' name. We ask you, oh God, to make us more like Jesus. Give us courage, oh God. Give us, oh God, generosity. Give us, oh God, a love for our neighbor that, that puts them above ourselves. Give us the heart of Jesus. Give us the life of the good Samaritan. God, I pray that we would take our eyes off of the offenses of man and we would look at you and we would grieve over the things that have offended you. And if you can overlook those things, then how dare we not overlook the offenses of man against us? Oh God, I pray that the church in America would wake up and that you'd fill us with a fire and you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would anoint us. You would purify us. You would let us know that it doesn't matter what's going on around us, that God, you can fill us with your glory. You can fill us with your spirit. You can fill us with your peace, with your wisdom, that we can walk into a room and bring hope to it. That we can put our arm around somebody and bring peace to them. That, Lord, that you're not going to be any different than the personality you've given us, but there will be a presence on our life. That the power of the Holy Spirit will move through your church outside of the church. Fill us, oh God. Fill us, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just, we just ask that we, oh God, would be who you're calling us to be. We would do what you're calling us to do. We would say what you're calling us to say. Have your way with us as individuals and as a church. Lord, thank you for the hope that's in you. I believe that we are a remnant of you and that you could multiply that remnant. Oh God, I just ask that you would help us to be like the tribe of Issachar that says that they were, they were wise and that they understood the times. I pray there'd be a new visitation on our church in power and in presence because every single one of us would be carrying that ark in our life. 
going to have the worship team lead us in music. And you are free to come forward and chisel in your heart a declaration to say, no more. Today is the moment I change. That you make a declaration here. And after that, you're, you're free to go at any point. But I, I think there are some of you that you just, even as I'm saying this, you can just get up from where you are. There's some of you say, I need to change this. Never again. It's over. It's done. I'm putting this behind me. I'm moving forward in Jesus. Some things just need you to make your motion. They, they need you to take the knife. As we're singing this song, we invite you to do this. We invite you to seek God for yourself and you're free to go. Thank you again for being with us today. If you want to watch this or listen to it again, you can always go to YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And for all news and updates about what's happening here at the church, you can go to ne-cc.org or lowellag.org. Thank you and God bless.